Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Another absolutely fantastic night of playoff basketball in the books. We roll on into Tuesday, May the 9th, off-season episode of Fantasy NBA Today, number 22. We're chugging, ladies and gentlemen. We are exactly one month removed from the end of the regular season. Sunday, April 9th. Can you believe it? It zooms, I tell you. It zooms along. This show is recorded only today, which is sort of a weird thing to say on a recorded podcast because... It doesn't really change what anybody's doing, but it is a reminder to all of you that do listen here on the recorded side that there will be some shows that you exclusively get access to, and then it's worth pointing out as kind of a segue that there are going to be shows leading up to draft season that only the live folks get access to. They won't be ported over to Fantasy NBA Today because it'll be something like watching me run a mock draft, which is not good audio-only podcast material, but it's excellent if you can watch because it's, you know, it's going to be me like, oh, no, I'm going to grab this guy. Nonsense. Nonsense if you can't see it because I can't narrate everything that's going on. That's a very difficult way to run a draft. In any event, Heat Lakers up three games to one after yesterday's action. Today, we've got the other series that are tied two games apiece, Philly and Boston. Phoenix and Denver. We'll talk about those later in the podcast. Today's episode is going to be part two of our dive into how the Yahoo pre-ranks looked. By the way, shout out again to Chris Kudley for getting me the October the 17th Yahoo rank board before they shuffled it to make themselves look better. I still don't know why they did it. Because it's very, it's unbelievably cockeyed now. In a way where no one would look at it and go, oh, yeah, that was clearly what Yahoo said. I mean, the example that I keep coming back to is the fact that they have Cade Cunningham with a pre-rank of like 290. That dude was going in the third round. Nobody thinks he was going at 290 because he wasn't hurt before the season started. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Point is, on Friday, we started the Yahoo, we're calling it the X-Rank Review. That's basically what it is. Part one... On Friday, we got into basically the top 10, give or take. It was like the top 12, top 13 kind of thing. And a little bit more into why we analyze things the way we do, why the per-game side gives you the sort of firm base of how these rankings work, and then you have to adjust based on some of the other stuff we've been talking about on the podcast. I think uh, last week on Wednesday or Thursday, we did a show on how to handicap for games played on sort of a cursory uh, this is the the maximum simplification version of that, but you apply that sort of stuff to your per-game ranking of a player, and that's how you get whether they'll be useful in all formats, some formats, no formats, whatever. The other thing I noticed, and frankly why today's show is recorded only, is that after I got through that first X-Rank show on Friday, I realized it's unbelievably difficult to do this type of show live. Which, you know, maybe that's a cop-out on my end. It probably is. Sorry, guys. Copping out a tiny bit. But I'm someone that does not like to script my podcast. You guys, I'm sure, have figured that out over the ages. This show is 
I like to think like the fantasy basketball equivalent of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where the actors involved, which effectively is, is generally me, I'm given where a scene must start and where a scene must end, and then getting there is who the hell knows how it's going to happen. And so when we get into something like this Yahoo X-Rank discussion, which you guys heard episode one on Friday, I want to just take a meandering path through this stuff. But when it's live, I can't ever really stop to think, is this actually the direction I want to go with today's show? You're just going. You're in it. And then you end up doing four minutes on something and realize it was irrelevant. Or you end up getting to the thing that's relevant at the very end and you've done a whole podcast and you regret it. The beauty of the recorded side and what we can do today and in probably future shows on this X-Rank stuff, maybe we'll get to a, a spot where I can dump one onto YouTube and see what happens, but... I just feel like I want to go through chunks of names here on the board. And I have to admit to all of you guys that I don't know necessarily what the conclusion's going to be going into this data. I like to do this stuff with you all. I like to get into the mix as you guys are kind of hearing my brain process for a number of reasons. Number one, I am always pressed for time. So doing a bunch of this stuff before the show is time maybe I don't have. But the two biggest reasons that I like to do this kind of with you, where I go through it and we we learn together, number one, I think it's, and maybe I'm wrong, doesn't matter, I'm going to do it. But number one, I think it is at least a tiny bit interesting for you guys to hear how my brain processes things. And you can kind of decide if you agree with how I'm processing things. Are you on board? With the way that, with the conclusions I just drew from the information that I presented to you right before it. Is that something you guys are cool with? And the second reason just popped out of my head. I had two reasons, and I forgot the second reason as I was talking about the first reason. It'll come back to me as we loop back around. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be if we were going live and I just left it in the podcast? Ha ha ha. But I want to go through these chunks of names, and I want to see what our lessons are going to be together. It's fun for me that way. There are aha moments that we can all enjoy together. So last week on Friday, we basically determined, oh, by the way, I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today at Dan Vespers on Twitter. You guys know the drill by now. So last Friday, we basically determined that for Yahoo's pre-ranks, they are more or less, with the exception of guys that are actually hurt coming into the season, they are more or less grading players out exclusively on the per-game side. They seemed to make very few injury-based adjustments with the exception of some of the biggest names out there, like Kawhi Leonard, captain of the load management club, the cloud management Jimmy Butler probably falls into that mix as well. There, I mean, you could go down the board and you could find the four or five guys that got a serious demotion because Yahoo's pre-ranks was pre-factoring in that they were only going to be targeting 64 games played or whatever it was. Going back to our show from last week where we talked about setting the window, the range of expected games pl played for a particular guy. But, like, if you look at the top of the board for Yahoo's X-ranks, uh, 
surely, if they were adjusting for games played, you would have seen Tatum above some of the guys in front of him on that thing. Right? I mean, generally, the top of the board is pre is is not fully adjusted for games played. Again, you could make the argument that Anthony Davis was pre-adjusted for it. Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, that's kind of basically it near the top of the board. Once you get down to someone like a like a Chris Paul, you could say, oh, well, they were pre-adjusting for games played. Yeah, but dude had like been mostly healthy for like three consecutive years, minus a busted hand at the end of last season. So, no, I don't. I don't think that that's a fair assessment. I think the fair assessment is: here are guys who never play a whole season. We're going to adjust to it, and most of them are probably not going to be in back to back. So we'll pre-adjust those as well. But by and large, we've been just looking. I only have the top 100 names on this board. By and large, you know, 96 percent ish of these 100 names are lined up on a per game basis. Okay, well, if that's the conclusion we were able to draw from looking at some of the initial numbers on Friday, how did Yahoo do on a per-game side? We're not going to grade them on the total side. Maybe we will later on in this discussion, but right now we're only going to grade Yahoo, their pre-ranks, on a per-game basis, because that's basically what they've said. They didn't say say it. They never came out and said, these are our ranks for guys on a per-game basis, but by looking at them, we can kind of, we were able to sort of figure out that that's what they were trying to do. So then we start to look at this per 5, per 10, absolute value, per 5, absolute value, last 10 kind of thing. I shouldn't say per 5. I should say last 5 and last 10. What is the what is the running range here? How is it doing over every 5 to 10 picks, effectively? And over the first round, remember we took some numbers out of this mix. Over the first round, it did relatively well. Absolute value miss size, 5.8. Not bad. Not bad. Um, folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Something's a little bit goofy here. I don't know where it went awry on one of the numbers. I think Cat was a, a medium-sized miss, and so that kind of goofed things up. Um, but remember, the top four on a per-game basis were, or top three, Jokic, Embiid, Durant, those guys were all very, very close. 
Steph was quite close out of the, the six spot. Tatum was very close out of the seven spot. Halliburton was pretty damn close out of the 10. Dame was close out of the 11. So by and large, the front, we talked about this last time, up to Kyrie Irving, pick 13, was pretty damn close. The absolute value, the running live absolute value at that point was 6.46 after those first 13 picks, which uh, I would argue is pretty damn good. I mean, that's saying these first 13 guys are probably going to be first or second rounders. And then we get to the next list here. So if you guys want to remember who those guys are, we can just go back to the Friday show. I don't really want to redo it every every time we get into this thing. Trey Young was at 14, Devin Booker 15, AD 16, DeJounte Murray 17, LeBron 18, Paul George 19, Freddie Van Fleet 20. It still didn't spin off the rails all too badly. In fact, at the end of the first 20, the live absolute value uh, running total or whatever it is was uh, 8.85 was the average miss size, which I think is still pretty damn good. Okay, what were what things happened in there that got it to this point? Trey Young was a pretty good size miss. He did not have a good year. Uh, Devin Booker was an undershot. DeJounte was also a miss. Everybody else in that second round was pretty close. Uh, LaMelo wasn't great either. But Dame was only a miss by four. Kyrie by four. That was at the front end, these guys we talked about. Then 35, 16, 12, 19. 7, 1, and 3 to finish off that top 20. And it continues that way. Anthony Edwards at 21 was only a 16-slot miss. Bam, 13. Demonis Sabonis was right on the nosy. Pre-rank of 23. Final rank of 23. Kawhi. Only a 12-slot miss. But that one, sort of not fair because you knew it was going to be an undershot or an overshot. What I figure out my nomenclature here. He was going to be drafted too late for his per game because of, as we talked about already, the totals. Donovan Mitchell was underdrafted as well. So now you're at the end of the top 25, and the absolute value of the miss size right now is still only 9.2. Kudos to you, Yahoo pre-rank. I want to give credit where credit's due. Their top 25 was pretty good this year. The exact order is fairly impossible to nail, but overall, they did pretty well. And then you had Cade Cunningham, and you could say, oh, well, he got hurt and he missed the whole season. Yeah, I mean, even before he got hurt, he was outside the top 130. So there's your first really big miss, either for totals or per game. Did it continue from that point is the question. So Cade was a miss of 109. Darius Garland, 23. John Morant, 52. Jimmy Butler, 18. Thank you, old man squad. Siakam, 13. That gets us to the end of the top 30. All of a sudden, now the live absolute value miss size is up to about 15, which is a substantial jump. 15 is still not bad, but what did I just tell you it was after 25? 9.2. And prior to that, if you want to look at sort of the the best fit line here or the, the line as it's changing direction, uh, after the first 10, it was 5.8. So, you know, 0.58. We can do that math pretty fast. 
per is the average uh, slope of the line. Then 8.85 after the top 20, which is actually a shallower line than the first round. You know, 5.8 after the first, second round, it only went up by about 3. So 0.3 over that one. And then over the next five, it only went up from 8.85 to 9.2. That's really short. It did quite well in that range. So 9.2 after 25 picks is a really shallow line. 15 after 30 is still a relatively shallow line, but it's jumped back up to a half per slot, and it did it over the span of those next five picks. And certainly as you uh, move up the board here, it becomes almost harder to increase the miss size, which is sort of an odd concept to try to explain without the picture in front of all of you. But, you know, as you're slotting in this thing, um, you're dividing by a larger number every time. You know, you're dividing by 40 instead of 30. So it's slicing things in a different way. So you can have larger misses that don't impact the overall number as much, provided you have any, like, remotely close to a hit actually brings the number down faster than at the earlier part of the of this game. So the expectations, this is this is actually a way of looking at the numbers that actually adjusts the expectations while you're going through the board. The expectations are that as you move down the board, the misses are going to be bigger. And this is when you need to start to look at the last 10, last 5, last 10. To see if there are trend lines in there. And there are, but they're not super obvious. Let's see if we can pick out the first couple. Last 5. Let's start with last 5. The absolute value miss size over the last five is actually my my preferred one here because that, that accounts for misses both in the positive and negative direction, and it treats them both as misses as opposed to averaging out to, like, two hits. Last five for absolute value. Uh, yep, there we go. I had one number in the wrong spot there. I knew something didn't look quite right. So if you're looking at the absolute value last five or absolute value last 10, you can get an idea of how picks are doing in different ranges as opposed to this big catch-all, which becomes not super helpful once you get past about pick 30 or 40 because you're just starting to divide the miss size by these extraordinarily large numbers and it becomes really hard to actually move that around. But last five, last 10, you're always dividing by either five or 10. So you're not getting these very large numbers divided also by pretty large numbers. You're getting clusters. And so, you know, if you look at the uh, last five after, and again, we're sort of throwing Giannis out because of the punt free throw thing. If you're looking at like the, the first eight picks before you get to Cat, last five, 4.6, stays in that low range. Cat pushes it up to 10.8. Last five at pick 10 is 9.2, which is significantly lower. 
or higher, I should say, than the last 10, because the first 10 we already told you was 5.8. Now, we're not going to read too much of that because it's just cat throwing things off and, you know, a miss size of 11 still is not that big of a deal. But it is important to kind of compare the last five, the last 10, and the the catch-all to see what's actually happening at different points in these ranks. So let's go back to where we were before, and let's find out if looking at all of these metrics together gives us a different picture. All right, at pick 25, that was where Donovan Mitchell was, last five miss size was 10.6, pretty damn close to the 9.2 we were talking about. Last 10 was 9.5, also pretty damn close to what we were talking about. And uh, looking earlier in this thing, yeah, there was a stretch there where last five, last 10 got up to about 14 or 15. That was uh, in this stretch kind of between... Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, where there were, frankly, four guys in a row that were drafted at basically the wrong spot. But it turned out to kind of not be a pattern because as soon as you got through those guys, the last five, the last ten, they came back down and got much closer to that catch-all number again. So they inflated a little, and then they came back down. Where do they actually start to diverge is the question that we should be asking ourselves here. At pick 30, remember we talked about how the catch-all went up from 19 to 15, and I was trying to explain to you guys that that was actually a really big deal, but it sort of doesn't feel like that big of a deal. Well, last five at that point, 43 was the miss size. Last 10, 27. But then it actually came back down again in both. So yeah, there was a stretch there that involved Cade and Ja and Garland, where things were off by a pretty good chunk. And even when you got into the front end of the 30s and Rudy Gobert and Bradley Beal and Zion was a couple picks later, things were uh, unpleasant, we'll say. Zion was actually not that huge of a miss. He was at 34, but still not great. But then, as you get past those guys again, the miss size once again gets smaller. Chris Paul on a per-game basis, pretty close. Vooch, Drew Holiday, Zach Levine, Evan Mobley. Those miss sizes between CP3 at ADP of uh, or pre-rank of 35 and Miles Turner, if you want to go that far, who had a pre-rank of 40, were 7, 10, 4, 10, 15, 19. That's not bad. And so the catch-all, this is what you need to be looking for in the catch-all, is how much is something changing. Remember at Cade, it jumped from 9.2 to 13. But then between Cade Cunningham at pick at pre-rank 26, I should say, and Miles Turner at pre-rank 40, it only moved from 13 to 15. And that actually does tell you a story. Because over on the last 10, last 5 size, or uh, columns, last 5 was a miss size of 11. Last 10 was a miss size of 15. Which, again, starting to get a little bit bigger but not notably large yet. And we're now at pick 40. So yes, there were obviously some misses in there. But there weren't large cataclysmic ones. And all we're really getting from the data at this point is that if you see someone with a pre-rank of 35, and you're like, well, there's someone at pre-rank like, 42 that I like better these numbers pretty much tell you go ahead you know 
The miss size here is typically in the one round range. So if you need to venture six up or six down, seven up or seven down, something like that. Remember, the miss size doesn't mean go only in the negative direction. We're talking about both directions here. That window now is, or if you, I mean, if you want, you could say the miss size is 12 in either direction. That's also fine. You can extend a little bit in a way that, frankly, you know, looking, comparing the catch-all to the, to the last five and the last 10 and those first 25 slots this last season would suggest that you probably want to stay within, you know, five-ish slots of the pre-rank. You're also running a game theory thing here to try to figure out what players get back to you on draft day. But I think it's pretty fair to say that Yahoo's pre-ranks this season were pretty damn good. The top 25. And still, like, kind of decent all the way up until about, like, right before pick 50. At that point, the misses are going in both directions. And it's not necessarily that there are some misses in there. It's that they become kind of all misses at a certain point. And at that point, you're like, okay, here's where things flip a little bit. It was right around Shea, oddly enough, this year. Shea Gilgis-Alexander had a pre-rank of 47 because of that injury stuff. And that, you know, turned... he blew past all expectations. I think basically all of us were like, yeah, if you can get him in the late 40s, you're definitely going to do it. Uh, but that started a stretch here where, and look, Terry Rozier at 42, he was a miss. Scotty Barnes at 44, he was a miss. But sandwiched around those guys, you had Jalen Brown, who was basically a dead hit, Darren Fox, DeAndre Ayton. These guys were hits. And it's at Shea, at pick 47, where you basically stop having hits. And after that, you're talking about minimizing the miss size. And I want to save the, the miss size minimization discussion for the next time we start to go through that. Because one of the things that we look for in this is, where is no man's land? Believe me, we're not there yet. No Man's Land is where everything is a medium-sized miss or more. And that's what we're talking about. Last five, last ten is basically always at 35 or above. And you're like, okay, um, this is never coming back kind of thing. Where does that happen this year? Last year, I think it was around 65. And it tends to ebb earlier most years. So we'll find out if that does indeed continue. But one thing that I think we can take, uh, and maybe this should have been the topic sentence of today's podcast, I think maybe one of the things we can take away is that not only is there a no-man's land where it's it's a total free-for-all because everybody is a miss of like 45 and above. I mean, every once in a while you have one guy who just sort of ap- accidentally lands right on his pick, but it's extraordinarily rare. It's like 30, 70, 100, 90, 2, <laughs> you're like okay well that was an accident that they got that one right but there's a point before that there are different stages along the way there's the this ish is real accurate stretch which this year was basically the top 25 yeah who did really darn well top 25 
Then there's a second juncture, which is hit or miss. You can call it the hit or miss range. And then you get into the third juncture, which is... Honestly, there's a fourth. Okay, there's four. There's we got them right. There's hit or miss. There's minimizing the miss size. And then there's no man's land. And I think this year, we can officially plant our flag. The first time we're actually going to call this new chunk of names a thing. We're going to give it its own damn name because we've talked about how often they get them right. Uh, We talk about no man's land, but we're adding some categories this year. The hit or miss zone, which is frankly my favorite zone. I love hit or miss. I think we do really well at finding the hits in the hit or miss chunk because the misses tend to be the buzzy guys. And this year it looks like that ran from about 25 to 45, roughly, the hit or miss range. And then 45 to, we don't know yet, is the minimizing the miss zone before we get into no man's land. I love this crap. I love this crap. I hope you guys do too. Show's not over, ladies and gentlemen. We've got playoff basketball to talk about. What the hell is going on tonight? Well, game one on this evening. 76ers at Celtics Boston, favored by 7.5 with a total of 213 And the question yet remains, can James Harden continue to save the Philadelphia 76ers? Joel Embiid was good, but James Harden was great in the two games they've won. Embiid missed one of the games that they won and lost, and then Joel... Oh, well, I mean, he was in there for that second ball game, but was he really in there? Technically, he played. For Boston... um. Yeah, I, they just got roasted. And, and I think if you're the Celtics, you don't have to change all that much because you just you have to sort of count on the fact that Harden is not going to go for 42 on 23 shots most games. They're not going to stop Embiid. No one's going to stop Embiid. But Harden is such a wild card when it comes to efficiency. Presumably, they'll try some new stuff on him. But this game ended at 231. The nice thing about this is that so the total of this last ball game was at 213 and a half. This ball game, total of 213. That's the odds makers saying, yeah, we trust we got this one right. And that last ball game went over because X, Y, Z. You want to know what X, Y, Z were? Uh, well, the team's, you know, Boston 17 three-pointers. Um, I would argue, though, that, you know, Boston overperformed probably by about seven or eight points. Philly overperformed by about seven or eight points. I think the oddsmakers have this total pretty right. The question really you're asking yourself once again is, you know, does somebody get hot? Because as these series run on, it becomes harder and harder for teams to score, typically, because the legs get heavy. You've kind of seen all of the actions that the other team is running, and then it's just about shot making. So uh, I don't know that there's quite enough buffer for us to go to an under on this series yet, I was kind of hoping, and when I say kind of, I mean definitely, I was definitely hoping that this ball game going over by a bunch was going to adjust the total by a bunch, because the previous game ended at 216, made a ton of sense why they didn't really change the number all that much. Um, a lot of, you know, efficient free throw shooting in in game three is kind of why it got to a reasonable number 
I'm grading out the total on this series at about 215, 216. But again, you also have to bake in the fatigue factor. So I think that this number on the side is relatively accurate. Or on the total, I should say, is relatively accurate. As far as the side goes, I I honestly don't know how you bet into the side into series when you get this far into them. They're they're so confusing to bet into the side. It just like... Especially when, to me, this is going to come down to whether or not James Harden is good, medium, or bad. And if he's good, the Sixers cover. If he's medium, this line is probably accurate. And if he's bad, they don't. I don't know what James Harden we're going to get. Can we safely assume it's not going to be the good one? So, you know, I would lean to this number is probably pretty accurate. I mean, that's probably where you'd look at a teaser, honestly. If you're like, okay, James Harden is going to be anywhere from bad to okay, that probably means that the Sixers... I don't know. Do we think they lose? Yeah, they probably lose by anywhere from like two to eight. So that's not enough to, or four to nine, if you want to say it that. That's not really enough to get in on the side. But if you could tease that down to like Celtics two and a half, Celtics three, then maybe you look at it. But nope, probably not going to do that. Suns, Nuggets, Nuggets by six. That line opened at four and it's jumped in Denver's favor, probably because there's an expectation that. Uh, Devin Booker just can't continue to be this good for this long, which I kind of get it. Like he's been, uh, he's been unbelievable in these playoffs so far. KD uh, was KD. You kind of expect that stuff at him, but Booker's shooting like eighty percent of the series, which is nuts. Then uh, that last ball game ended at two hundred and fifty-three points. I. Would assume that money's going to be coming in on and over, but I, I don't I don't actually have that number in front of me right now. I don't think I'm touching the side. Um, and now that the Nuggets are favored by six, I don't think I can... Or the total, I don't, I don't think I can do either of them. Because this Nuggets by four was probably worth looking at. Nuggets by six, you're kind of laying a lot at that point. Total of 227.5 kind of feels like an over trap, doesn't it? I don't know. Nuggets are one of those teams that finds a way to get to overs even in playoff games. And it also feels a little bit like this is a game where you could try to be the smartest guy in the room and say, oh, well, this is the night where Devin Booker finally slows down, or or this is the game where Jamal Murray finally slows down. But maybe it's better to just kind of take it in. And so if I'm looking at any of this stuff on the, the card tonight, um, Celtics... If you could tease the Celtics down, that's probably the most interesting thing I could find. I don't I don't really like the the numbers on this one. It's screwball. All very screwball. I don't like ugh, I don't like the totals at all. I had pretty strong leans on yesterday's card. You remember we liked the over in the first game, which just barely got there. And then I loved the under in the second game. Um, because it felt like that was the game where the teams were going to be starting to lean into the defensive adjustments, and they did. They very much did. Lakers beat the Warriors 104-101. Nice, super slow, low-scoring fourth quarter. I had a feel. I had a real strong feel for the totals in that game yesterday. It felt like we had finally opened up a little room in an over for Miami-New York because they just couldn't be as bad as they were offensively as the previous ball game, And then in the other one... You had the high-scoring deal where you knew the Lakers weren't going to shoot as well from three. They didn't. They only had six three-pointers yesterday. You knew the free-throw number was going to come down. You knew the Warriors were going to hit more three-pointers, and they had 12 of them. But 
I think you also saw that there's just like the Lakers are saying, Steph, you're going to have to do everything. And it almost worked, man. Steph did. He took 30 shots, had 14 assists. He had a usage of 36. That's a very un-Warriors-esque game. Uh, and they kind of wore him out. That's a game the Warriors win if it's in Golden State because the other guys have a little more energy. Steph has a little more energy. Lakers probably run on fumes a bit more, but they had that last little kick. Lonnie Walker was that last little kick, and then LeBron was kind of Steph hunting in the fourth, and uh, that's why Steph ended up with five fouls in the ballgame. Anyway, uh, I'll probably have more thoughts when we get to the next games in in Knicks Heat and Lakers uh, Warriors, but again, I will say as far as tonight goes, I don't really have a good feel for where these series are going to head um, because, it, to me, that first one, again, you're just betting on James Harden or not. And then in the second one, you're betting on whether or not you think this is the game that Booker and Murray slow down because you know you're going to get good games out of Jokic and KD. But if you don't get the guard stuff, the game will slow down substantially. And for me, I'm looking for sort of room around the posted number, not guessing on who's going to be good. That's that's a tough way. To, that's a coin flip way to handicap. I don't do the coin flip. All right, on to the morrow, my loyal subjects. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. Hope you guys have a delightful Tuesday, and I'll see you over on social, at Dan Vespers. Again, hit me up over there if you're interested in podcasting with us here at Sports Ethos. we got some openings popping up I'll be telling you all about on Twitter as well. Okay, that was it. For real now. Later. Later.